Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by a very special friend in life, someone you may know because he's been 69%, 71%, and 68% against college props the past three years. Maybe you know him as NBC's lead college fantasy football analyst, but also I know him as just wrestling brethren. It is none other than NBC's <laughs> own Eric Froton. Froton, how's it going, buddy? Oh, it's great, John. Thank you very much for being on here. Obviously, I'm very excited. We got to hang out and talk about this at the Combine last week in Indianapolis, where you were practically the mayor of that event, Mr. Daigle, getting out there, pressing the flesh, and, and learning everything we need you to know so that your listeners can be well-informed, my friend. Not only was it fun to meet with you, but it was fun seeing... Chris Allen and Sam Hoppin's face as everyone we passed, I shook their hands because little does everyone realize I've overlapped with so many people in the industry. Uh, Sean McVay's best friend, Andy Benoit, for instance, I used to work with him and Robert Mays and Robert Klimko. So being in prime at six in the morning, which is a, <laughs> a whole nother podcast for another day between us, but being there then turning around and shaking coaches' hands because I have experience working with them. I think that was the most uh, eye-opening thing for everyone that this little fantasy plebe happened to overlap with so many coaches and you, of course, in the past. Oh, yeah. And me, of course, at NBC Sports, where you and I have done a couple of uh, on-air podcasts together. This is the first one that we've kind of got to, uh, you know, take the gloves off here, unencumbered. That You and I, we can, we can be let loose. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that, obviously, Mr. Daigle. And make no mistake, Eric, you are here not only because you're my friend, but I genuinely, truly believe you are one of the very best at what you do. Everyone knows the godfathers of Dynasty Leagues and college football analysis, but I put your work genuinely amongst the best. And that's why I'm so excited you took the time to join us here. And I want to start with an easy layup for you because a topic coming out of the combine and we'll get into the the gems the hidden gems deeper dive along the way here but let's start with a layup and jordan addison because addison actually moved up two spots and daniel jeremiah's top 50 board to number nine overall and his highest ranked wide receiver in those top 50 rankings following what considered to be most considered to be a poor performance in athletic testing at the combine but beyond his 18th percentile speed score at 173 pounds, you and I both know that Addison hit the ground running as an 18-year-old, leading Pitt in catches and receiving yards in his first year on campus. So basically, does his testing worry you at all? Or are you still just as high on Addison coming out of the combine? Sure, we'd we'd like to see a little more than the 449, which is where he ended up at. I believe his initial line was 4.4, and that ticked up to 443, which uh which was even you know an underestimation at that. In fact, you know, not to ding just Addison, but if you look, a lot of the wide receivers we expected to mm-hmm. test a, a lot quicker uh, in terms of where they were initially lined. Jalen Hyatt was initially lined at 4-3. He ended up at 4-4-1. You know, that's, that's a full hundredth out. Um, excuse me, a full tenth. Was that a full tenth? Yeah. And, um, you know, so it wasn't just him. That being said, you know, 5-11, 173. And in addition to a, a 4-4-9, 34-inch vert. I mean, I'd like to see a little more than than the 34 inches. You want to see him at least in the high 30s, you know, a, a 10-2 broad. Um, so those are the sort of metrics you look at for the, the cutting, stopping, the ramping down as opposed to the ramping up. Uh, but with Addison, you got to remember, as you mentioned, 
early breakout, true freshman breakout, uh, pretty much kept – it was Addison who was sort of like the the Kenny Pickett whisperer over there at Pitt because mm-hmm. you got to remember the first three years of Kenny Pickett's career, he started four years. His first three seasons, he threw exactly – and it's one of the – it's a great anomaly – Exactly 13 passes every season up until his final year where, you know, Kenny Pickett comes alive, uh, happened as a senior. And frankly, a lot of that has to do with Jordan Addison. He was he was just locked onto him the entire time. Um, it didn't matter how defenses tilted coverages to him over there at Pitt. Crafty, you know, uh, does a great job setting up his breaks. Uh in terms of his ability to, you know, make catches, you see him go across the middle and be able to take the shots. But, um, you know, I, I just think with wide receivers, it really has become an art form. And we know that in recent years, such as, you know, the, the prototype really is um, Devontae Smith, who was that 172 to 175 range with those freakishly long arms, of course, that that is, uh, gives him a advantage in the con- contested catch scenarios. But um, I just think all the wide receivers are starting to get lighter and lighter and lighter mm-hmm. at the NFL, at least with this class. The, the top guys seem to be on the lighter side. And I think that Addison sort of is a product of that. He can separate. He does a good job, you know, uh, manipulating defenders. But there's no way around it when he's got a 5.2 you know, 58th percentile RAS, you know, relative athletic score, that is something that uh, is a concern and that needs to be addressed. So I, I have bumped Jordan Addison down to my wide receiver four uh, after the combine because of the lackluster results. And wide receiver four, still obviously respectable, but yeah. it's something everyone's discussing coming out of the combine. Something else that everyone's discussing coming out of the combine is Bizarro Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnson. Tenth in yards per route run in the FBS last year in his final year with Max Duggan, and 11th overall with 8.9 yards after the catch per reception at 6.3208. That's the kicker. But... Post-combine, Johnson has now dropped 10 spots on Mel Kuyper's big board and down to number 29 overall on Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 rankings. Johnson, of course, didn't test much for us at the combine proton. So what are your thoughts on Johnson coming out of that event? You know, it's interesting with him in that you, uh, you know, we all wanted to see the 40-yard dash out of Quentin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Again, another guy whose initial line was 438. Uh, bumped, shot immediately up to four four four, where it kind of stayed. And even that, uh, I, I heard rumblings, you know, from different camps around the combine that Quentin Johnson has been comfortably in the four fives to four five five range when it comes to his forty time. Which, you know, if you look at Drake London last year, Drake London didn't even run a forty yard dash at all because he was coming off an injury. He probably would have been around the four six range. But he's getting targets. We we have so much tape on Drake London to see that he can take those extended handoff type things. If you're going to play seven yards off him as a cornerback, he's going to catch that ball. And then he's going to face plant you into the dirt one-on-one against a 5'10", 180-pound cornerback. Mm-hmm. Like, you weren't doing that against Drake London. He was a legitimate power forward, college football, aggressive. He is coming for you if he gets that ball in his hand. It doesn't matter. He catches the ball, quickly turns. And you have a decision to make. How are you going to attack this guy? And and it's a 10-yard pass every time out there. So that isn't kind of Quentin Johnson's game. Uh, but even though he didn't do the 40, 
I can't say that he didn't have a good combine because he jumped 1102. Mm-hmm. You know, for his broad, that's a 99th percentile score for somebody who's 6'3", 208, which is where you, you know, it wasn't the 6'4", 215 we all wanted, but he's 6'3", 208. And then a 40 and a half inch vertical. So, you know, those elite testing numbers, which are, again, that was a 97th percentile score uh, for his size. So um, you can't say that he had a bad combine. And then you go and you watch the wide receiver drills. And he he showed the ability to catch the ball outside his frame, which is something that I really, you know, when it comes to his with the pads on, I had I had some issues with that on his tape. Because when he's going up and he's attacking that ball downfield, you see that a lot of the catch he's making, he's got to catch it right in line with his eyes. He isn't extending up, out, over as much. He's got to be right here. And, um, you know, it causes him to lose some of those contention catch scenarios. It also, you'll see him instead of going up and attacking at its highest point, he has a tendency to kind of let the ball come into his body a little bit when he's sort of like fading. So just the little things that he does that aren't quite alpha traits when you're downfield trying to win, I don't see him do. So um, when it comes to, I, I think that the overall speed dynamic is an issue with him. And I think that's what people are saying is like, okay, you're there with all these other, all the best. You're all in the same spot at the same time. And he's not running the 40 yard dash. I feel like that, like in Mel Kuyper's example, that's bringing out some of the questions that we all have about him that he didn't answer when he had the opportunity to do so. So I, I think it's just a natural result is, you know, that there's going to be sort of a tick down. But you have to remember, he did put up great testing numbers on the jumps. Um, so, you know, I don't think it was a complete catastrophe or anything. You know, I, I do think that Jordan Addison did have a, you know, less excitable, obviously, testing at the combine. But there were some things that, uh, you know, in terms of the way we watched him catch passes, stuff like that, that that I do think had some uh, positive aspects. So I'm only, I have him at wide receiver four post-combine. He was wide receiver three pre-combine. So uh, I did tick him down as well. We will get back into wide receiver and dive deeper in a bit. But right now, I want to play devil's advocate and try to sneak in someone else into the RB2 discussion out of this class with you. Because right now, consensus is Jameer Gibbs or Zach Charbonnet, but I think it's a little more wide open than people think. Or at least let's pretend that way. And I want to start with someone who you have ranked much higher than consensus, and that is Ole Mrs. Zach Evans. So please, the floor is yours to explain why you love Zach Evans. Well, with Zach Evans, first off, you know, let's talk about the combine. He he didn't do drills. But he came in at 202 pounds. That is a problem for the the pre pre combine Zach Evans ranking. Uh, he is going to take a tumble there because he was built. The, the thing is about Evans, he was built anywhere between 200 to 215, depending. You know, most of the the time he was in that was in the 215 range on team pages, and and we had a couple. He had TCU and then Ole Miss. So I was kind of looking at him when I was initially ranked him. I'm looking at 210 to 215, which 210 is, is where I want you to be if you want to be considered as an every down, not coming off the field type running back in the NFL because it's tough to take that pounding. We heard a lot about that particular narrative when it comes to Jameer Gibbs, who is, you know, straight 5'9, 199. Can he handle the in between the tackles work? With Zach Evans, um, you know, on a per carry basis, he was the most explosive running back in the entire NCAA mm. last year. 
Uh, more 10 plus yard runs uh, as a percentage of his carries than any other running back in the country. So just wildly productive, even though uh, Quinshawn Judkins, who's a sensational freshman, you know, class of 2025, who will be a top five running back from that class. He's he's easily top three right now. He went and took control of that running back room uh, at Ole Miss, despite the fact that Zach Evans, he was doing a great job every time he touched the ball. He, he's fluid. He has sort of a, his running style is more like a, a weaving type style as opposed to, you know, the, the drastic over-exaggerated type cuts. You'll see from like uh, like an Eric Gray, he's very exaggerated cuts out of him, not not the short, tight, compact ones. You see that kind of out of Zach Evans and his ability just to to read the blocking and and go with it. And he'll finish a run or two, you know, there too. But look, is he going to be able to lower the shoulder at 202 pounds at the next level? You know, the way he he finishes runs. Um, I, I think that's a real question. He's a running back who at TCU couldn't hold off Kendra Miller, who is a top 10 running back in this class as well, had to transfer Ole Miss. And then, you know, wasn't um, wasn't the pure feature primary back because of Judkins as discussed. So that is a problem. Uh, somebody who didn't establish alpha status in two different running back rooms, despite the fact that one of them is an SEC room. And he was very successful on a per carry basis in the SEC. So there are a lot of conflicting things. The fact that he's 202 does concern me. I have to tick him down. Um, my post ranks, I believe I have him as RB8 at, uh, at the current moment. So that kind of tells you how I feel about taking him from, you know, RB3, 4 range. I think I have him down in RB7. And I have him behind Kendra Miller because he couldn't beat him out at TCU. And uh, he's not going to be weighing in at the 215 that Miller is. Well, let's discuss Kendry Miller going there because, as you said, you moved Miller up post-combine. What did you see in Miller's testing on tape that makes you higher on him now? Well, just he weighed in where he he said he'd be. My gosh, it's like a, a, a lot of the combine is like, you know, who is a liar and who is it? Who is being actually pseudo-truthful mm -hmm. about, you know, their uh, their height, their weight, you know, their their what's their 40 time? My gosh, all the all the optimistic 40 times that, that we got to experience uh, at the combine, stuff like that. And, you know, Miller didn't run. Uh, it wasn't that he, he tested particularly well, but uh, he did weigh in, you know, and he weighed in at 5'11", 215, which is right where you want to be. And when I, you know, on tape, uh, you see his running style, very aggressive. It really deploys that stiff arm, uh, you know, as a weapon to, to ward off tacklers isn't going to be if there's anything like you know the the pass catching acumen we didn't see him used in the receiving game hardly at all over there at TCU even when Sonny Dykes came in this past year who is an air raid disciple uh you know coming from uh SMU coming from Cal where De Davis Webb threw 4,000 yards we haven't seen Cal throw the ball even remotely the same way since Dykes left so um where he wasn't used in a receiving fashion at a air raid adjacent spread school, that's certainly something to take a look at with Miller. But, you know, just looking at him as that between the tackles, a B-gap ball carrier, he has the physicality. Uh, he has now the confirmed size. Because, look, just because he said he was 215, we, who knows? That's been verified. And I think that if you're looking at him at a, a consistent two-down role with the potential to, to at least slide in there on, on third downs and catch a couple of passes if he can develop that part of his – uh, game, I think that he is one of the better 
215. One of the only bats that is, that is you know, 215, 220-ish that you can really project athleticism-wise and what I saw on tape to being a real factor in the in the backfield uh, on a two-down basis. A lot of the guys up top, like the A-Chains, uh, like the Jameer Gibbses, Tajay Spears, you know, just for a few that are up there, um, are, are 205 to 195, in, in the A-Chains case, 188. Kendry Miller, of course, in a 60-40, 70-30 timeshare with Mercado in his final year at TCU, and that resembles the timeshare, 70-30 share, that Roshan Johnson was in behind Bijan at Texas. Johnson being the the afterthought here since it's Bijan. All you have to do is mention his first name and everyone gets perked up and excited. So what do you think about Roshan Johnson coming out this year? Sure, well, Roshan Johnson actually uh, came out of high school as a quarterback. So Mm -hmm. Tom Herman, who was the former coach at Texas, kind of did this a couple of times, and it really worked out well for him where – He'd say, look, you know, we're, we're Texas. We want you. We'll give you, you know, kind of the shot to play quarterback. But, you know, we do think uh, there's a path for you at, in the running back room if that doesn't pan out. Well, it didn't pan out throwing the ball with Roshan Johnson. But and obviously, you know, getting uh, a full bell cow amount of work is not going to happen with B. Sean Robinson as the number one. But the clear number two and. Anytime anyone else got any extra work, it, it was going to be Roshan Johnson. And the amazing thing is, at six foot, two hundred twenty pounds, he actually broke more tackles on a per carry basis than Bijan Robinson did. You know, he led all of the country in terms of broken tackle rate, even though he wasn't able to do it obviously on a on a two hundred carry basis. Still, and the opportunities that he was afforded at Texas, he excelled with those limited touches. Um, he can catch the ball. Uh, obviously, you know, he's a great athlete all around. He ran a 4.58 at 220. I have no problem with that. Look, if you're under 4.6 uh, at that range and you've showed the ability to be elusive and to force missed tackles like Roshan Johnson has, well, God, uh, all right. Well, I want to see what he can do, of course. Tested, um, weighed in at the 220 range that we want to see. And I think he is going to be considered as a, as a fourth roundish type back. Uh, for a you know a nice goal line short yardage first and second down option for uh, for a team that is lucky enough to draft them. I'm not trying to squeeze this next player into the RB two discussion, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on Deuce Vaughn because anyone listening to this podcast trying to catch up on prospects, if they were to hear there's this player available who registered 619 touches for 34 all-purpose touchdowns over his last two years in a Power 5 conference, they would say, okay, that player's very special and going to get drafted high. The issue, of course, is that Vaughn checked in at 5'5", 179 pounds at the Combine. So your thoughts on Vaughn Coming out into the NFL, what will he be viewed as? And is there hope here in potentially getting him in the last round of both Dynasty and best ball leagues? With uh with Deuce, you gotta remember again, as you said, five foot five. That's a legit five five. Yeah. Now, with him coming out of high school, so you gotta remember I'm a college fantasy guy and I scout all these guys when they're coming out of high school because I'm projecting player performance at the collegiate level, both from a player props perspective, as well as obviously college fantasy. Uh, and in, when it comes to Deuce Vaughn, I selected him in the fifth round, Hmm. uh, in the 2019 college football winning edge, 20 team dynasty, uh, league. Oh, it's 20 teams, 
50 player rosters plus plus injured reserve. So you have up to seven injured reserve players. So it is at any time 1,100 players owned in this particular player universe. So you have our uh, you know supplemental drafts, which is all the players coming from their senior year in high school to be freshmen. I took him as a fifth rounder because at Kansas State, where he went, first off, Deuce, Deuce Vaughn's dad is a scout, a longtime scout, like a, a lunch pail guy uh, mm-hmm. around the college and NFL level, like for, for 25 years. So he's a very well-known guy, uh, very well-traveled. And the, not, the thing with Deuce Vaughn when he was coming into college, very, very first spring, he comes in, he's in there spring right out of the gate. And he knew all the plays. He knew exactly where to be. He knew exactly from a, you know, a a cerebral football perspective, exactly what he needed to do, exactly what his assignments were on every single play. And they said they'd never seen anybody come in with his level of preparation before in like the the coaching staff, Chris Kleeman, head coach uh, and et cetera. They've never seen somebody come in the way that Deuce Vaughn was prepared. He was immediately, as a five foot five freshman who was like 170 pounds at the time, he took that starting job away in short order and proceeded to be one of the most dynamic runners in the Big 12 for the last four years. Um, all purpose back. He's going to, no problem catching balls out of the backfield. In fact, he's certifiably dynamic when you get the ball in his hands. If you look at some of his highlights, you'll see when he gets it in space, he is extremely shifty and very difficult to, to get a beat on. Um, and really could have value in that satellite back role at the NFL level. Um, I think, you know, the best case scenario is you want to see a, a Darren Sproles type career. You know, Sproles did have those giant thighs. Um, you know, a lot of people just sort of bounce off of him. He, mm-hmm. he was a, you know, a real unique kind of a build type of thing. I kind of see Mayan Williams next year, who's like 5'9", 220. He has that kind of a, a Sproles build, but even thicker. But, you know, um, Vaughn isn't, I mean, at 180 pounds at 5'5". Five, five, look, he's he's a little bowling ball. He's not small, small. He's not thin. I mean, he's not 160 pounds. He's 180 at 5'5". Five, five, but um, it's going to be tough to see him projected to an every-down role. Um, I mean, a super Eckler would be great. You know, it'd be like a, a little version of that, you know, wherever he can go and be used. But you're going to need a team to really use him properly. So uh, fifth round of the rookie drafts, I, I certainly don't have a problem with that. If you're looking for a satellite back in a PPR format that could uh, you know squeeze out 10 to 15 points a game. But uh, if you're not in a full PPR, I don't think you're going to be able to glean the value off of Deuce Vaughn the way you would if it's maybe half or if it's a performance-oriented league due to the fact that he isn't going to have the same kind of opportunities in the middle. And before we close out running backs from the combine, you don't get enough credit, and I've told you this before, in my opinion, for predicting Elijah Mitchell's draft capital. Absolutely no one was discussing Elijah Mitchell two years ago. And then all of a sudden, you continue touting him as a terrific last-round selection, late-round selection, and he gets drafted in the sixth round by the 49ers in 2021. And so something I've been waiting to ask you, waiting specifically for this podcast, is there anyone else at running back you think those drafting in dynasty leagues, throwing darts in best ball leagues should draft because you are projecting that player or players to have draft capital come April? You know, there's a player that um, 
I and I've been watching a lot of these five round, as many of these four or five round rookie drafts as I possibly can to make sure I have a beat on where these guys are going. From a running back perspective, a guy that I that I just I barely see him getting drafted. Hmm. And I, I think he deserves to be in that fourth, fifth round range based on what he's put on tape. He didn't tape, uh, he didn't test, but I like Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. Uh, reason being, he's in that 220 pound range, six foot, 220. Uh, if you saw him at Kentucky over the past couple of years, he was the un, undeniable bell cow. And this is for a Kentucky team that before he kind of came around, they'd use more of a committee approach. Asham Rose, you know, Cavassier Smoke, those guys, they'd, they'd um, you know, they'd, they'd be in the mix and they'd get, you know, that 800 yards or so, but there was always, uh, everybody had a role. Everybody had their specialty and they'd rotate. When Chris Rodriguez came around a couple of years ago, 2020, he assumed that lead back role and he never gave it up. It was clearly his. And if you look at him in, you know, 2021 was dynamic. I mean, he, the, the whole Liam Cohen was in there for Kentucky. Uh, the former Rams assistant went over to Kentucky for one year Completely transformed that offense, helped Levis, helped Wandale Robinson, helped Chris Rodriguez really be the best versions of themselves that you kind of didn't see as much in 2022 when Liam Cohen went back to the Rams and Rick Scangarello came in uh, to run the offense from the 49ers. Scangarello is gone. Liam Cohen is back. It's It's been, you know, musical chairs over there in Kentucky, but... Mm -hmm. Um, last year, the offense, the line for Kentucky was, was decimated. Darian Kennard left a couple of excellent, excellent linemen went to the NFL. And you saw that with Will Levis having to stick in and taking some serious shots with blitzers up the middle. He, he really took some, some hits, um, as well as with Rodriguez. Cause the first four games of the year this year, Chris Rodriguez was suspended for, you know, a drunk driving incident or something to that effect. And he, uh, you saw like they couldn't against three non-power five opponents they could not mount a running game to save their lives for four straight games this is a kentucky team that you know is winning eight games in the sec every year and they can't mount a, an offense as soon as rodriguez comes back that entire landscape changed for kentucky and they're out there pounding the ball and they're back to at least being their identity even if they, their scheme and, you know, uh, Will Levis's performance wasn't, he was a little banged up, wasn't tied up to par or what they put on the previous year. Um, he's powerful. He makes people miss. He The big knock on Rodriguez is going to be his high-end speed. You know, he's probably like a 4.65 guy, 4.6, 4.65. It's just how it is. But so was uh, another guy that, you know, as you mentioned from that 2020 class, also, I had Ramondre Stevenson as a, a huge, huge um, player who was a sleeper. He was taken in the fifth round by the Patriots in that same draft as Elijah Mitchell. He was also in that column, and he is more – I mean, he was 5'11", 240, and he had feet like Fred Astaire. He was dancing like a ballerina out there when he got that ball in open space. And I don't care that he ran a 4'6", 5", because his ability to make people miss in, in close quarters was – phenomenal and I really think that you see a lot of that with Chris Rodriguez in that he's got a nice slide step uh good pacing reads his blocks I just feel like he's a a, a sound running back who doesn't have the pop out make you you know blow you away physical traits 
um, you know, in the speed, but he does have conceptually, um, you know, the feel for the position, the strength, the size in a class that is, frankly, it's it's 205 or under are a lot of the best guys are 205 and under. There's going to be, I think, a couple guys who are in that 220 range, like we already mentioned Rashawn Johnson, that I think really can emerge like a Tyler Algier last year, a bigger mm. back who came out and really, um, even though he didn't have, I don't, I don't even, I don't think he was drafted. He may have been at sixth, seventh round, but uh, a very, very late draft capital who goes into a good situation and has the ability to do the between the tackles work that earns him a role at the NFL level. Not to mention a 1% Fred Astaire reference that the oh, kids certainly will just fast forward through. Uh, <laughs> What would, be, what would be the millennial uh, comp for that uh, dancing? Is it I was, dancing with the stars reference or I was or, thinking about that. Like what is the, the, what is the best choreographed dancer? Yeah. Beebs are like, I guess JLo yeah. still does her own dancing. Well, certainly. Uh, hey, no disrespect to JLo or anything. Yeah. Uh, to be fair. Also, you and I probably aren't the two people to ask. So uh, <laughs> that is know, fair. If you know who the, the millennial <laughs> dancers are, please send us a tweet. If you um, want to talk about wrestling, we're your guys. Not so much. But dancing. not not professional dancing. No. All information, Froton as well, I consider to be information. It just comes down to the person parsing that information correctly. So, for instance, and I'm about to ruin this for both of us. I'm so sorry. Ooh, but for instance, dude. when I see you tweet about a player, very high on that player, I then take that information. Some may ask, what do I do with that? Uh, I take that information and say, how can I better myself how can i win money how can i better my life from this information and that's to take that information and then like add it to fourth and fifth round dynasty drafts add that player in the last round of best ball leagues and so unfortunately for both of us i need you to talk about marvin mims because oh. i snuck him in now into the 17th 18th round in big board drafts on underdog and i know we are about to nuke that possibility because you are about to increase his adp single-handedly yeah, I uh, I have a Marvin Mims fetish. Uh, I, I have to admit, uh, everybody has their thing. Some people like feet. Uh, I like Mims. And in fact, it's, uh, you know, you have to remember, Marvin Mims is the all-time leading high school receiver in the history of America. Maybe there's another country. I know that we've expanded football into many different localities and nations around the world. But in America, he's numero uno. It was Marvin Mims, number one highest all-time season for receiving yardage in the history of high school football. So he comes into Oklahoma, uh, recruited by Lincoln Riley, who's now at US now at USC, and he kind of got got you know hit by the the tendency of, of Riley to want to spread the ball around. You know, unless you're CD Lamb, you know the ball is going to be distributed somewhat evenly. You know, over over with the Sooners, and unfortunately for Mims, that's what's happened because again. He's another guy that is a true breakout, you know, much like Jordan Addison we talked about, true breakout uh, as a freshman, uh, Marvin Mims. Uh, but the problem is, you know, he's kind of go a little bit of the outside, a little bit of the slot, you know, they're, they're oscillating him, but he's a deep ball threat. And that's really how he was used. He wasn't, there wasn't a, a, a whole route tree that he was used um, like I would like to see him use. You know, he didn't have, you know, the 120 targets, just the, the huge, huge dominated rating and the market share that you want to see from, uh, you know, a wide receiver. However, what he did do is he took the top off of defenses and he did it in style. Um, you know, people were expecting him to be in the four five range, 
based on his speed. He went out and, and ran a 4-3-8 that blew everybody away. I don't think anyone really saw that coming. It was one of the fastest wide receivers at the combine. And, you know, it, what backs it up statistically and what you see on tape and what you see from him, and finally he kind of got unleashed this year because Lincoln Riley moved on to uh, USC and in comes a uh, new regime and his offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, was at Ole Miss last year for the last few years. And so he really used him in a primary role. Even in that role, though, he went from having Caleb Williams as his quarterback, uh, who will be the number one pick next year. It's not particularly debatable. That's happening. Mini Patrick and, Mahomes, yes. Yes, he, that's happening. He, he's more mobile. He's more mobile than, than Mahomes. Different. He's a different sort of a thing because he can run and and he can throw on the run too, like extremely well. He's almost got like that Bryce Young ability to, to feel the pocket. And he's a he's got Jets, so he, and he's a four or five. So I mean, Good. get ready, yeah. Caleb Williams. He is the number one quarterback next year. But the point is, he had to go from him to Dylan Ga- Dylan Gabriel, who you know six foot, maybe a buck eighty five, buck ninety, and simply does not have the downfield passing. He doesn't have the arm of Caleb Williams. That's not knocking Dylan Gabriel. He's UCF quarterback, but that just isn't. That's not realistic to put those two even in the same, you know planet of talent so even with dylan gabriel he only got 86 uh targets because they did go they leaned on their running game a lot between eric gray and javante barnes um but even though he only got 86 targets he still went over a thousand yards receiving in fact of all thousand yard receivers in college last year nobody took less targets to get there than Marvin Mims. 86 targets, the least targets needed uh, of any wide receiver. And that sort of dovetails with when it comes to point, you know, yards per reception, Marvin Mims is up there among the leaders. You know, I want to say like 18 and a half, just insane. And then additionally, 16.2% of his receptions over the past two seasons went for at least 40 yards. That is far and away the most in the entire NCAA over the last two season span. The only one who's close is Jalen Hyatt, who is being talked about as a first round receiver, even though he ran even a more limited route tree than Marvin Mims over there in Tennessee. And when Hyatt was there, okay, in 20 and in 21, in 2021, he, he barely saw the ball. He had 250 yards receiving each of those first two years because Cedric Tillman was healthy in 2021 and he was the alpha dominant receiver unquestioned in that room. And he demanded all the targets because he went out there against Georgia, which is the most generationally best defense I've seen in the last 20 years was that complete Georgia defense. Florida state had a great one there, their year too, but that Georgia defense, he went out and lit them on fire in 2021. Cedric Tillman had over 150 yards receiving and like 10 catches and he went and took turns between Darian Kendrick and Killy Ringo of who's getting it next. Oh, you want it next, Darian? You're getting it. So when Cedric Tillman, who is my wide receiver six, I have him ahead of Jalen Hyatt, because you're not going to sit there and put him. You're not going to tell me Jalen Jalen Hyatt is a better receiver than Cedric Tillman. My eyes watched it. Okay, you're not going to tell me that. He's not. He's ahead of Jalen Hyatt. I don't care how fast he ran. And he didn't run fast enough. He ran 4-4-1 Hyatt. So with Tillman going – you know, uh, and being injured in 2022, well, there comes Hyatt. Now Hyatt has his big year where he has 1,200 yards receiving. He gets the Blitnikoff. He only got 89 targets, um, you know, in order to get that. That's the thing. Hyatt and Mims are the two guys in this class 
that are right there with each other for me. They're very, very similar in terms of skill set. And, and for, you know, everybody thought Hyatt was this rocket ship, and Mims is faster. He ran a 4-3-8 as opposed to a 4-4-1. So value-wise, where I'm seeing Jalen Hyatt go in, you know, the end of the first round, like right at the very top of the second, and then I see Mims going in round three, you know, like early third, mid mid three. Look, I have Mims rated ahead of Jalen Hyatt. I have Till- Tillman rated ahead of J- Jalen Hyatt. I think he's gonna, they're going to be better receivers because you don't see – any sort of intermediate routes at all, any sort of feel, any sort of ability after the, the catch. And with Mims, you go watch his highlight tape. There's, there's one on YouTube. I, you know, obviously I watch all the games. You go on YouTube and you see like an eight minute highlight tape of Mims and you watch the degree of difficulty of some of these catches he's making downfield at 5'11. And it's like Jahan Dotson last year, where even though he's 5'11, Jahan Dotson has that supernatural ability to ball track and just manipulate his defender at the top of the stem to know how to make those downfield catches. And Mims just has that talent. Some guys can just do it. And he's doing it in contested situation where he's winning at the catch point. I just think based on all that stuff, based on uh, you know the fact that he was all, always the number one wide receiver in his room, there's never anybody better than Mims. He just wasn't used that way until this year. I am all in on Marvin Mims. I think he's worth a mid-second, maybe even early in that range pick. And it's simply way, way, way too high that he's going if he's going down in the third round. He's a second-round receiver in all rookie drafts and should be treated as such. You didn't mean to, but because you're so good at what you do, you just killed two birds with one stone. And and one, nuking, as I already discussed, Mims is ADP. No longer will he be a value for both of us. But also, having having the hot but educated take and Cedric Tillman being the better volunteer receiver to Jalen Hyatt. Because right now, I don't know if you know, but on on the big board on underdog, Jalen Hyatt is being drafted mid to late eighth round. 106 overall ADP is the wide receiver 50, whereas Tillman currently undrafted. Literally. Get him in the last round. And remember, this is a player that I think think both of us think will probably go on day two, right? Round two, round three? Yeah, yeah. That's a big Matumbo. You're getting the Matumbo for that one, guys. Right. Do not go near Jalen Hyatt in the eighth round. Good Lord. When Tillman no, is that's right. a no, especially if it's this year, especially you're redrafting. He isn't polished enough to go and step into a, an NFL room and go out and be worthy of an eighth-round pick in the first. It's not happening. I don't care where his landing spot is. He's a one-trick pony right now. Maybe in a couple years, and they talk about this. I mean, obviously, we all know this. We're, you know, the – the commonly parsed refrain of it takes three years for a wide receiver to really get his feet wet in the NFL and really get his bearings. And it's, it's, it's been a, a, a quicker curve nowadays because the, the passing game in college is so emphasized. You see Waddle, Smith, Chase, right out of the gate, Wilson, Olave, the, the, the really strong receivers, the, the rock solid ones, they, they produce right away. That's not what you're getting here out of Hyatt. Hyatt isn't, it doesn't have that polish of a Wilson, of an Olave. You know, even Drake London, I, I, I like, obviously we talked about him a little bit in comparison to uh, Quentin Johnson. He can do more than Quentin Johnson. All those guys are right out of the gate, ready to go. I, I just don't see that out of Hyatt. And in fact, as discussed, he wasn't even the alpha in his own room and Cedric Tillman's just better than him. The fact that he's going undrafted and Hyatt's going in the eighth round, uh, that is unacceptable. Another receiver that I think was overshadowed, but a winner from the combine 
is Bryce Ford Wheaton. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on him because Anthony Richardson's athleticism obviously stole the show. But Ford Wheaton, West Virginia's receiver, quietly came in with the best RAS, the highest athleticism score among wide receivers among this class. Not only that, but 11th, the highest R, 11th highest RAS all time among wide receivers at the combine since PFR's database goes back to 2000. So is there any chance here as Ford Wheaton emerging as a, a late round dynasty selection we should be, keep our eyes on? Oh, hell yeah. Let's hear of it. Course. Why not? All right. So with Bryce Ford Wheaton, West Virginia uh, wide receiver, as discussed, I mean, he's like 6'3", 225, 6'4", 225. And uh, for the basically last year, I uh, I joined a campus to Canton. I try to do a new campus to Canton league every year. I did one two years ago. I did one this year. And in the league this year, we drafted 50 rounds. Okay. In the 44th round of a campus to Canton league that was drafted in the summer last year. So even call it nine months ago, I want to say we started in June, roughly. So nine months ago, this was drafted. This is even a full year. Bryce Ford Wheaton, I selected him personally in the program C2C in the 44th round of that draft of 12 teams. Wow. So it ended up being like in the 500s is where he was selected last year. This isn't three years ago. This is the last year before the season. Mm-hmm. That goes to show you by saying quietly crept up. That's how quietly he crept up that he was a 44th round selection uh, preseason. Now, the first six weeks of the year, Ford Wheaton was dominating out there uh, for West Virginia. Had JT Daniels, who was a former uh, USC top, top, top 10 uh, quarterback, was a former starter at USC, went to Georgia, got beat out by Stetson Bennett, went to West Virginia, he got beat out again, and now he's at Rice. Literally four teams for Mr. JT Daniels. Uh, I, I think that has to be a record of some sort, but... Uh, he was throwing the ball and, you know, looking pretty good over the course of the first four or five games, you know, relative the competition. But um, then Daniels got banged up and, you know, the, the the quarterback play wasn't particularly great at West Virginia. And I think that Wheaton got uh, – I think he got dinged up too as well. He I forget what the injury was, but he ended up missing a game or so. And when he came back, he just wasn't the same. You know, like West Virginia as, as a team, they had fired their offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell. Uh, after the season because they, nobody was happy with what they were getting out of the program. So that's something you have to remember with these college guys is there's some, you know, just because they're coming from college doesn't mean that everything was sunshine and rainbows at their particular program. And it was certainly not last year at West Virginia. That was a team that was in transition. Neil Brown, their head coach, is firmly placed on the hot seat, had to, had to jettison pretty much the entire offensive staff because of how poorly they were last year in terms of moving the ball. So, um, as the quarterback play sort of leveled off and, and degraded as the season went on, they were forced to throw the ball shorter more and more to Caden Prather, who is now on Maryland, was on West Virginia last year, and had one of the lowest ADOTs, one of the five lowest average depth of targets in all of college football last year with Prather. And the reason why is because they had to, they couldn't complete passes downfield. They didn't have the quarterback play to do it. So they had to kind of go with those shorter underneath routes. And that wasn't what Bryce Ford Wheaton did. If you see his tape, obviously you get him on one-on-ones on the sideline, and that's a real matchup problem. Um, but the the overall level of play around him wasn't very good. 
that gets to me seeing him at the Shrine Bowl. I was at the Shrine Bowl for five days. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of Rice Ford Wheaton. Um, where he excels is being able to manipulate. Like he's good, he's physical when it comes to asserting himself. What he what he didn't do well is his releases. Okay, and this is something that actually it's ironic because I actually ended up talking to him about this at the combine. Actually, at the um, at the Shrine Bowl. So he had never. He told me this at the Shrine Bowl when we discussed. He had never faced a jam in all of college. He had wow. never, not once, had to deal with with a release. He'd been getting free releases to do what he wants downfield. You know, no problem. It was the first time he ever faced a jam was when he was doing those one-on-ones, or, you know, at least in a, in a game situation. He was doing those one-on-ones at the Shrine Bowl, and he specifically talked about how uh, he had a little bit of trouble with the faster corners, specifically talked about Eric Scott, who was a cornerback for Southern Miss. He was not, I don't think he was at the combine, he didn't get an invite, but at the Shrine Bowl, a smaller corner, but he was just in pocket and in phase because he was quick and he was feisty at that you know, right up to he was getting right up on him, and he was fast enough to be able to jam him. You know, kind of give him a give him a problem, and then stay with him downfield. So, if there's anything that I'm looking at with Ford Wheaton, that's obviously a number one is what's his release package going to look like uh, when he gets to the next level. So he is physically, you know, he, he it's literally Megatron esque proportions. He's Megatron's the freakiest wide receiver. In fact, he's the number one freakiest player in the history of the relative athletic score of the RAS, number one. And he's like, Bryce Ford Wheaton is 11th. It's so hard. Like, trust me, Bryce Ford Wheaton is a freak. Freak! Standing next to this guy, and you're looking at him, and I've done it, and he, he's a specimen. How, what is, what is he going to look like at the next level when he's against these 6'1", 200-pound corners that can run with him like Eric Scott ran with him, and and can deal with the jam, you know? Can he can he stack those guys where he's showing the four three eight speed? He ran the same thing as Mims did at two twenty five. Unreal. Can he stack those guys? Does he have the polish to be able to leverage that athleticism? I do think that that's a question. Uh, I do think you're probably not going to see year one him coming out and being ready to go since he will need to develop. But when mm-hmm. he gets in that NFL wide receivers room, he works with those NFL level coaches, the Keenan McCardles of the world that he was working with at the Shrine Bowl, uh, I, I can't wait to see what he does because he is truly a ball of clay. You got to, again, as you mentioned, John, I've been watching on these. I haven't seen a lot of Bryce Ward Wheaton going, even after the combine. I, like, did people figure out that this guy has the ability from a dynasty perspective to be a very valuable player down the road? And I think he's a top 100 pick. I think he's probably a third rounder now, you know, end third supplemental pick. Uh, those guys need to be taken advantage of, and you will see him going in the third round, at least in the upcoming drafts after the drafts after draft capital has been allocated, because he's going in the top hundred picks. So if you're doing your drafts now, start looking at Bryce Ward Wheaton as a third round pick. That's where he's going to be. It's very much like the full swing golf documentary when Joel Damon said someone's got to be the number seventy golfer in the world. Uh, Anthony Richardson being the most athletic quarterback ever, ever at the combine definitely overshadowed the receiver being the 11th most athletic receiver ever. That's why he got lost in the shuffle there. Understood. Fair. But but finally, before we get out of here, like with the running back class, we need to tap into 
a late round guy at wide receiver that we can grab because you think he will have draft capital in April. So what is a receiver receivers that stood out to you? All right. So guys down the board again, you know, cause if we're going sleepers, we're going to go sleepers. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody who, again, maybe sliding in the fifth round, maybe sliding in the fifth round. Um, but most of the time he's going undrafted in rookie drafts, Jacob Copeland, uh, wide receiver, formerly of Florida. Uh, last year he went to Maryland and was in a very talented Maryland wide receiver room, which Dante Demas is another guy you ran in the four fives. He will be a, like probably a fifth, sixth rounder. Um, as is Raheem Jarrett, who was the highest rated recruit uh, that the Maryland Terrapins landed since Stefan Diggs. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's what a big deal that Raheem Jarrett was going there um, you know, with Mike Loxley. So um, comes from a very talented wide receiver room. As we saw with Maryland, we saw Deontay Banks and Corey and Bennett. Those guys tested real well, all the Terps. All the Terps tested well. This is not this is not like the Rutgers era Maryland. They got athletes. They got guys who can play now. So that's something you really want to be aware of, you know, for next year, where they got three wide receivers who could be drafted. The one I'm going to talk about, Jacob Copeland, transferred the year there this year uh, from Florida. And at man, he's like another Shrine Bowl guy. Uh 5'11, 210 pounds. That's like AJ Brown proportions we're talking about here as a wide receiver. Ran a 4-4-1. So I'm seeing, you know, he's barely getting drafted. I'm seeing a guy like Parker Washington for Penn State. We're on like a 4-5-5, 4-5-7, you know, type guy. He's just, you don't see much separation out of the breaks. He's more like a dependable dump-off type guy who can work zone um, out of the slot. I, I don't see, like, they're both similarly sized. He's running a 4-4-1. And with Copeland, you saw him at the Shrine game, very shifty. He isn't just all speed. The fact that he can cut and, uh, you know, be able to win off the break specifically at 210, 215 is where he's weighing in at. That That is not something that you just see every day. And those are the type of guys, and especially like just having seen the way he works, I think if we're looking for somebody in the fifth, sixth, seventh round who could have an Amon Ra St. Brown type impact, that's a guy that I look at is Jacob Copeland about the way that he moves, uh, size, you know, BMI type, uh, you know, talent. The fact that he was able to go into an established wide receiver room and show that he belongs, not only does he belong, but he earned, you know, a, a, a breath, you know, a good portion of those targets. I thought he outplayed Raheem Jarrett, who is being, uh, you know, mocked in the third round or so. He's being, you know, he's certainly way ahead of Jacob Copeland. I have Copeland ahead of Raheem Jarrett, like comfortably. And I, I just think that that's a guy that people are missing because he wasn't at the senior bowl. He's at the Shrine Bowl. But he lit everybody up at the Shrine Bowl. Stood out. It was obvious that this kid can play. And then he goes and he runs the way he did at the Combine. Uh, he needs to be going in the fifth rounds. Is he, you know, uh, he's not going to be a top five wide receiver taken here or anything. He does still have a lot to prove. But if we're talking about down the board, talking about sleepers, uh, I, I loved what I saw out of Jacob Copeland on every facet of it, the way he played and the way he tested. Uh, that's what I'm looking for, for a sleeper. 
I'm so happy you mentioned the senior and Shrine Bowl as well, because yes, the combine gets all the news, but as you and I know for doing this for so long, the NFL draft begins at the Shrine and Senior Bowls because that's when scouts show up and whoever wins in those games, and it's usually limited players, but those who win, like a Mac Jones, for instance, that's how they become on the top of your boards from the moment those begin. Froton, tell everyone where they can find you and everything we talked about today. Well, thank you. You can reach me at CF Froton on the Twitter machine. I'm also at NBC Sports, where I will be doing plenty of uh, content creation, I'm sure, over the next couple of months leading into the draft. And then thereafter, I will be diving headlong into my team uh, projections once the over-unders come out for college. I am a college football guy, first and foremost. I let John... My, my colleague, Mr. Daigle, handle all the NFL stuff. But when it comes to doing the college football, I watch every day, every Saturday, watch every game I possibly can wall to wall. I do at least 20 games uh, each week, you know, uh, thereafter in order to make sure that I watch as many players as I possibly can in season. Uh, and as John mentioned at the top, I am the number one college football player props analyst in the entire world. I don't know of anybody else. Uh, who's been doing that as long as I have, as well as this will be my 23rd year doing college fantasy football. I don't know anyone else who's been doing it longer than me for that respect. So uh, if you have any interest in college fantasy football, you should be playing it. It is my personally, I enjoy it more than I enjoy pro uh, fantasy football since we have 133 teams and all day, every Saturday, wall to wall. There's no one o'clock games, no four o'clock games, no eight o'clock games. There's just games. And they just come game after game after game. If you want the best possible fantasy experience related to football, it's not the XFL. It's not the USFL. It's not even the NFL. No offense, John Daigle. It is college fantasy football. And we will open that wrestling channel in the 4-4 Discord <laughs> to get you in there yes, sometimes soon. We will be back next week with multiple free agency episodes on this podcast. Also, stay tuned to 44.com where Paulson just released live on the site right now his free agency preview and my free agency tracker with fantasy blurbs already up for those who have been slapped with the franchise tag on the site free for everyone. Until then, you know, a little bit kinder than what's fun. We'll see you next time.